1 Kings, chapter 21, verse 1. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it, or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of his table, at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick your own blood. 
Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. So sometimes uh, God gives us great examples to follow in his word. The faith of Abraham, the determination of Moses, the leadership of Joshua. At other times, God gives us warning examples to avoid. And this true story is the latter. It sounds a bit like something out of a Shakespeare tragedy, doesn't it? A weak king corrupted by greed, led astray by his scheming wife to become complicit in conspiracy and violence, an ominous prediction of inevitable consequences and the offending royal eventually humbled. But if you've ever been to see Macbeth or one of the other Shakespeare tragedies, you don't get much sense of mercy, forgiveness or grace. And if there's one thing I want you to take away uh, from the story of Naboth and King Ahab today, it's that our God is full of mercy, forgiveness and grace. We're going to look at King Ahab and his interactions with three people. First, we've got King Ahab and Naboth. Just a bit of brief background on King Ahab. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, says that King Ahab was the worst of all the kings of Israel, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. He married Jezebel, who followed false gods instead of the one true God. He worshipped other gods too, and he even built altars to idols in Israel. So he's the worst of the worst. And the story of Naboth's vineyard is a case in point. King Ahab is wandering through Jezreel, not far from his palace. He sees a vineyard which belongs to a man called Naboth and wants it. So being the covetous, spoilt king that he is, he asks Naboth to give it to him in exchange for money or what King Ahab describes as a better vineyard. But in contrast to King Ahab, Naboth trusts God. He knows that it says in God's word in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 23, if you want to look it up, look it up later, that people should not sell the land that God gave to their ancestors because it ultimately belongs to God. And he courageously says as much to the king. So here we have two men. The first, 
King Ahab is in a position of great power and uses that power to intimidate and bully. Ahab mentions his palace and throws money at, at Naboth. The second, Naboth, is a landowner, so fairly wealthy and influ influential, but he speaks the truth in love, submitting to God's will and boldly standing up for God's word. Let me ask you this. Which of these two people do you see more of yourself in? Perhaps you're in a position of power, admittedly not in Buckingham Palace, but maybe you're someone's boss at work or a part of a local committee or a governor in a school or even a parent or a grandparent. How do you use your authority and influence? Is it to make gains for yourself like King Ahab or to model honesty, integrity and obedience to God's word? like Naboth. Ahab goes off sulking to his palace, lying on his bed and refusing to eat after speaking to Naboth. And the next interaction of Ahab's that we're going to look at is with Jezebel. A bit of context for Queen Jezebel. 1 Kings 18 tells us she massacred the prophets of Israel. Uh, we don't quite know how many, but it must have been quite a lot because we know about 100 of them were kept safe, hidden in a, in a cave. Meanwhile, the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, false gods which were objects of idolatrous worship, ate with her at her table in pride of place. Jezebel was so evil that Jesus uses her name as a byword for sin and idolatry in the letter to the church in Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2. So Jezebel goes to King Ahab and sees him lying on his bed, totally passive and in a childish grump. He explains to her what happened with Naboth in verse 6, but notably leaves out the God-honoring reason why Naboth said no. Perhaps he's already forgotten because he's so wrapped up in his own greed, or perhaps he's too embarrassed to mention the true God of Israel in front of his idolatrous wife. Jezebel then begins to weave a web of deceit. She essentially accuses Ahab of being a weak king in verse 7, and if we're honest, she's right. He's strolling around, coveting vineyards, rather than governing the people with justice and humility. He's sinking into a huff, even refusing to eat, instead of modeling wisdom, compassion, and self-sacrifice. He's allowing the deceptive queen to pull the strings, rather than standing up as the godly king that Israel needs. And pull the strings she does. While Ahab does nothing, Jezebel promises to get him what he wants. She cooks up a vile scheme to get Naboth killed for blasphemy and treason, writing letters in Ahab's name and roping in corrupt associates. Her folks stone Naboth to death, all while Ahab stands by. In this awful plot, Jezebel couldn't be more underhanded, sneaky and cunning, and Ahab is firmly in the back seat. And the plan works a treat. Naboth is out of the picture. And although it doesn't specify this in the passage, you might imagine in verse 16 that King Ahab feels like a weight has been lifted off. Jezebel has kept her word. The irritating Naboth is out of the picture. Finally, and Ahab is free to leap up from his bed, saunter down and take possession of his lovely new vineyard with the gorgeous views across to his palace. You really couldn't make it up, could you? 
It's a flagrant abuse of power in stark contrast to Naboth's courage and faithfulness. Ironically, Naboth is dishonestly murdered for blasphemy and treason. But in this whole sorry matter, Naboth has been the total opposite of blasphemous. He has been faithful to the true God of Israel by obeying his word. He has been the total opposite of treasonous too. He has expressed faith in his king by standing up to Ahab's sin, trying to keep him on the straight and narrow. Let's take a break again and ask ask ourselves, where do we see ourselves in these characters? I'm sure there have been times when, like Naboth, you have stayed faithful to God and obeyed him in situations where it would have been so much easier to bow to pressure and fit in. But on the other hand, how often have you retreated into self-pity and grumpiness when you didn't get your own way, like Ahab, perhaps giving your family the silent treatment? How often have you passively taken a back seat when someone else, perhaps even your spouse, has suggested a sinful course of action to lead to some sort of benefit? Okay, you weren't sitting in your palace conspiring to, to kill someone, but what about telling a white lie to avoid awkwardness or a small financial loss? How often, like Jezebel, have you used deceit and dishonesty to gain some sort of advantage? Again, I doubt you've organized the murder of someone, but I'm sure you can think of small ways in which you've fallen short in this area. So far today, we've seen greed, covetousness, compromise in taking God's word seriously, anger, sulking and grumpiness, deceit, controlling behavior, dishonesty, abuse of power, murder, and even theft, because Ahab doesn't pay for the vineyard in the end, does he? He just goes and takes it. And all of Ahab's sin, all of Jezebel's sin, and all of our sin as well, stems from one thing, idolatry. Ahab and Jezebel worship false gods rather than the almighty God of Israel. So when the opportunity comes to act in a way that angers the Lord, they just think nothing of it. It's easy for us to hate Ahab and Jezebel. You're probably sitting there thinking, wow, this couple are a nasty pair, aren't they? How could they possibly think that they can get away with something like this? Before we move on, though, let me take this moment to say, All of us are like Ahab and Jezebel in more ways than one, aren't we? All of us idolize things or people in our lives rather than worshiping God. Our idols probably aren't uh, actual false deities like Baal or Asherah, uh, but look at it like this. What's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? What do you talk about in a more excited and animated way than you do about your walk with the Lord? If you realize that there's a common theme of idolatry in your life that you are not addressing, do not hesitate. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 speaks into the urgency of killing our sin. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. If there is a pattern of one of these in your life, Speak to a fellow Christian who knows you well. Repent and pray with them. Do that urgently. And for those who do repent, who turn from their sin and follow God, there is good news. 
And that brings us on to the next and final interaction that Ahab, says, Ahab has with Elijah. The Lord instructs Elijah the prophet to go to King Ahab and tell him that he will face God's judgment. And when Ahab sees Elijah, he says in verse 20, Have you found me, O my enemy? This king of God's people, Israel, is so wrapped up in his sin, so self-absorbed that he sees God's representative as his sworn enemy, his nemesis. Elijah tells Ahab he has sold himself and describes in graphic detail the judgment that Ahab will face as a result of his greed, deception, and violence. Elijah reveals the word of the Lord to Ahab. A disaster will come on Ahab and his family. His descendants will be wiped out and dogs will eat Jezebel. And how does King Ahab react? Well, you'd expect him to laugh it off, wouldn't you? After all, he doesn't take God's word seriously. He's just called Elijah his enemy. But incredibly, he takes what Elijah says to heart. He puts on sackcloth and fasts as signs of repentance and grief at his sin. Now, cynical as I am, my first reaction when reading this was to think, I just don't buy this. We know this man can lie and deceive to get what he wants. He's just doing it because he got caught, isn't he? He's not genuinely sorry. But the Lord sees it differently and says to Elijah in verse 29, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. Now, just as a quick aside, you might think it's a bit unfair that God decides to punish Ahab's son instead of him, just because Ahab said sorry. It's not Ahab's son's fault that, um, a that Ahab and Jezebel did all that with Naboth's vineyard and the killing and the deceit. But it's worth pointing out that Ahab's son, Ahaziah, was guilty of the same sins of idolatry as his parents. And you can see this in other parts of 1 Kings. The difference is that he never seems to repent. And God's response to Ahab's repentance is just incredible, isn't it? The Lord is so abounding in mercy, forgiveness, and grace that not even this fallen, shameful king is beyond the reach of God's love. Although 1 Kings 21 is actually silent on whether Ahab went on to develop a sincere faith in God and receive eternal salvation after this initial repentance, because Ahab humbles himself before the Lord, the judgment is delayed. This is great news for all of us because it points us forward to God's true king, Jesus, in sharp contrast to all those kings of Israel who did so much evil, Jesus stands out as the one true perfect king in the line of David. Jesus stood up for the poor against oppressors rather than grasping power and wealth like Ahab. Rather than prioritize his own greatness like most of the other kings in David's line, Jesus humbled himself by dying on the cross. But in the case of Christ's death on the cross, the judgment was not delayed. The judgment was made. God's wrath was borne by Jesus Christ so that those who repent, who turn away from their sin and turn to Jesus, 
are saved from God's fair and just judgment. Just as God showed his mercy in delaying his punishment of Ahab, he showed us his mercy by bringing his punishment on his son, Jesus. And if you're not a Christian here today, this true story has an incredible message for you. Perhaps you see some of yourself in Ahab or Jezebel, the greed, the selfishness, the the dishonesty. And the Bible tells us that God will eventually bring his eternal judgment on all who do not repent and turn from their sin. But another part of the Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, tells us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's great news. God is patient. He is holding off on this judgment in his great mercy, giving everyone the opportunity to repent, follow Jesus, change their ways, and be saved. So please do that today. Because God is merciful, forgiving, and gracious, because he is also totally trustworthy. Through Elijah, God told Ahab exactly what would happen because of his sin, and eventually it comes to pass. In 2 Kings chapter 9, Jezebel is killed in gruesome circumstances. In 2 Kings chapter 10, Jehu, the newly anointed king of Israel, kills Ahab's descendants. What God says will happen will definitely happen, and God's judgment will happen. For those who do not put their faith in Jesus and accept that he died on the cross for them to take their punishment on his shoulders, God's judgment is real. So if you are here today and not yet trusting Jesus, please turn to him, repent, and know his mercy, forgiveness, and grace for yourself. Let's pray to finish. Father God, we thank you for giving us this warning in your word. Each of us are more like King Ahab and Jezebel than we could care to to admit. But you are merciful, forgiving, and gracious. We thank you for sending Jesus to save us. Please help us to humble ourselves before you and know your forgiveness today.